Hello, and welcome to another episode of Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. I'm Gib Gerard. Our guest this week is Tana Amon. She is so many things. She is accomplished in the field of healthcare. She is the vice president of Amon Clinics. She is also a nurse herself. She is a black belt, but most importantly, and we're going to talk about this, what we're going to talk about today, is that she is the author of the new book, The Relentless Courage of a Sacred Child. It is the story. It is her story, and it is amazing. So to get to the confident, amazing, accomplished woman that she is from where she started, uh, it's 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 the journey we're going to go on today, and you are going to learn how to be relentless in your own courage and how to get through your own times of hardship by listening to her and, of course, by reading her book. A little word of warning. Today's show talks about some serious trauma, and that includes, uh, you know, that includes uh, abuse uh, of, of a variety of different kinds, as well as, as drug use. So if that is something that is triggering to you or something that you do not want the people around you to, to hear, please consider listening to this alone or not listening to this episode at all. But it is an important lesson for a lot of us to learn. So I encourage you to listen to it if you feel up to it. Again, uh, Tana Amen, that's coming up in a second. I'm also going to give you two quick pieces of intelligence that you can take with you and do with what you want. But first, a quick word from our sponsors, including Rocket Mortgage. This part of the Intelligence for Life podcast is presented by Rocket Mortgage. When you need an expert to help navigate the home loan process, Rocket can. Once again, thank you to all of our sponsors. Uh, and in a second, Tana Amen. But first, a couple of quick pieces of intelligence. If you want to feel better about yourself, read a book, any book. That's according to new research from the UK's University of Liverpool. They found that people who read regularly for pleasure, whether it's mystery novels, graphic novels, biographies, whatever, have higher levels of self-esteem. They also have lower levels of stress and can cope better with difficult situations. So pick up a book for crying out loud, everybody. You're going to be a lot better off if you do. One more thing. In recent years, interest in golf had been fading. That's right. It's a very expensive sport. I totally get it. Of course, that's until... The pandemic hit. Now golf is poised to have one of its best years ever. Last month, 37% more rounds were played than in a typical month. And play has been up for the entire year now, even though courses were closed for a couple of months at the start of the pandemic. So uh, obviously, it's like one of the only things you can do that you that, that it seems anything close to normal. You can't go with someplace else. You can't go indoors. You got to do something outdoors. Golf is the move. I totally get it. I've actually, myself... Uh, picked up golf. I've had a set of clubs collecting dust in my garage for a very long time, and now I'm out golfing again. So uh, I guess I'm a great case study in that. So folks, uh, read a book, play some golf, and here, most importantly, is the moment we've all been waiting for, our interview with Tana Amen. Tana Amen, uh, you're, you're, you have a very long resume. You're a, you're a neurosurgical ICU trauma nurse. Uh, you're the vice president of Amen Clinics. But most importantly, you are the author of the new book, The Relentless Courage of a Sacred Child, How Persistence, Grit, and Faith Created a Reluctant Healer. Thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate you coming on and being with us. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. So you're, you know, we, I've, I've known of you and I've met you a few times uh, doing, doing interviews and, and, and things like that. Uh, and I know you as this, you know, just confident great uh you know nutritional and brain health expert who takes a you know uh, a lifetime of of medical training and applies it to all sorts of different areas of life um i mean you, you're also a black belt so you you know you have you have this you have this amazing confidence that you come with but uh but your story and and that you outline in this book is really a, a it, it's not that you you come from <laughs> you come from being you know it, it's a scare a scared child like 
uh, I, I want to know how you, how, how you make that change. I think there's a lot of people out there who are scared and want to come to that place too. Yeah, it's it was quite the journey. And so many people who are listening, I know, um, come from a place of trauma. And trauma was a word I couldn't even really say or acknowledge. It sounded, you know, so dramatic. And I, I hated that word. Um, so I, I, you know, we, we hide from this word. But I grew up in a very chaotic and um, just very difficult childhood. Lots of trauma, lots of drama, and I learned to hide at a very young age. My earliest mm. memories were all very difficult. I remember my husband, when I started dating him, asking me to tell him some of my happiest memories, and I honestly couldn't remember any. And it took me like a long time to remember any happy memories. I remembered almost drowning when I was two, my uncle being murdered in a drug deal when I was four, um, you know, being sexually assaulted and molested when I was 12, um, just on and on. And I, I thought... I don't really have any happy memories. It was really odd to say. Mm -hmm. So when you have those types of memories when you're young and that's foremost in your mind, you learn to hide. And children are supposed to be able to go out and explore the world. They're supposed to feel safe enough to, to learn about right. the world around them. Right. But when you don't, you begin to hide because that's safer. You because being invisible is safer. Right. I mean, you know, that you hit on something there. Like, my goal as a as a father is to create the context for my kids to be themselves, right? To create, right. to give them, so they can learn consequences without learn without garnering permanent damage, right? Yes. So yes. fall, but don't break an arm. Uh, exactly. You know, uh, know that the stove is hot without burning your skin off. Like, uh, um, you know, spend time outside, but know that you have a safe home to come back to. And I think when when you don't have that, that's what that that sort of trauma begins to seep into that inner onion layer of our brains, like you're talking about. Do you think that you're? Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I love what you just said. Okay, so trauma, by definition, is basically any event that is so extreme that it makes us believe that our environment is not safe. Right. So it's that's really what trauma is, that you don't trust the people or the environment around mm. you. And I love what you just said about parenting, because that's my goal as well. It's like, let them learn consequences while consequences are cheap. Let them learn consequences before they're fatal, right? Mm -hmm. um, before they are permanent, mm -hmm. before they go to jail for something, while, while consequences are cheap, before they die or go to jail or, you know, whatever. Exactly. Um, you want them to learn those consequences. But when you grow up in a chaotic environment, those consequences can be fatal when you're a child. Yeah. And that's the difference. Yeah. Do you think that your sort of uh, your confidence that you have now is, is it because you had to put on? Because I, I I get the sense uh, there's nothing ersatz about your confidence in, in having met you. You I get the sense that it's very real now. Was it fake at one point? Like you were talking about, you know, this the fake until you make it. <laughs> yeah, like well, you say, you were hiding. You wanted to hide the trauma, all that stuff. You know, did you start there, or did you, or 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 is it still? Do you still have imposter syndrome? I, I or I so. Yeah, I love that you asked that question. So I think for a long time, it was, um, I hid. I just flat out hid. Mm -hmm. And then what happened was um, the hiding didn't serve me. When I was 12, like I said, I was molested by my stepfather. Um, at 15, believe it or not, it was very random and odd, but I was walking to high school and I was attacked on the street. Um, so that was just a weird thing that happened. And there were some things that happened in my life that made me realize not having a voice and being timid was not serving me. Mm. So I learned to find a voice. But when I first found my voice, you know, your voice is a weapon and it can either be used you know, like all weapons, they can be used to protect, 
to serve or they can be used to hurt and harm. Mm -hmm. And when I first found my voice, it, I was so extreme with it. It was like I would I would really hurt anyone who came too close. Mm -hmm. And so I wasn't using it in a really positive way. And I went so extreme with it. And likewise, I, I learned to develop this facade. It's like if I can be good enough, if I can be pretty enough, if mm -hmm. I can be in good enough shape, if I can accomplish enough, then people will not see how broken I am inside. So initially it was like, and I had to keep people away from me because otherwise they would know the truth. So there was this, that was the imposter syndrome. So for a long time I had this very intense voice. So it, it sort of masqueraded as, as confidence, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but I could not let people close. No one knew any of this stuff about me. Like literally nobody. All they saw was that I had what it looked like I had it all together. And yet I had a hard time having close relationships. And I noticed that people, um, they, they, they didn't really bond with me. Mm -hmm. And well, I didn't really understand why, but I knew I couldn't let them too close. I mean, my, my guess about that is that if you're not being vulnerable, truly vulnerable, it, other people can start to sense that. and so They that, sense it. Yeah, and then they won't bond with you. Did, exactly. Did you come to like a low point at some point? Because there's a lot of low points in this, but it sounds like you did this, uh, I don't want to call it fake, but this sort of veneer of reconstruction of your life from mm -hmm. some of the some of the attacks that you had early on and, and the difficult life you had as a, as, as a child. And you created this veneer, which I t which is totally understandable. Um, but but you had a successful marriage, you have a family, you have all of these other things that you're able to, all these you know professional uh, accolades that you've been able to accomplish over over the years. So at some point, did you hit a low point and realize that you had to break through that veneer and start to form a real connection in order to get yourself out of it? Because I, I think a lot of people uh, are are faking stuff right now. I mean, if you look at social media, it's it's what you're describing on steroids. Right. right it's, absolutely. It's, it's fake connections. So so how do you start to break that apart? So it's a process. And so one thing we say at the clinics, you know, we at Amon Clinics where we treat people um, and we help people overcome is um, getting well doesn't happen in a straight line. And it certainly didn't for me. Mm -hmm. So when you get when you start to get well, it's like you start to get better and you feel so much better. But it doesn't just happen all of a sudden. It's like you're going to have a drop and then you're going to get a little bit better and then you're going to drop a little bit more. But as long as the trajectory is going upward, even if those drops are OK, they don't feel OK in the moment, mm -hmm. but they're OK because it's when you it's when you have those bad days that you learn the most. As long as you're willing to be curious and not furious. Right. As long as you're willing <laughs> to, like, look at those moments and go, what went wrong why did that happen and then you're as long as that upward trajectory is continuing to happen so that's what happened with me and i i hit the lowest point in my life in my 20s um i was just starting to what i thought start to have some control over my life i was just starting to get my life together just starting to have some control i was in school um you know i wasn't I moved away from what I thought was, you know, this chaotic environment that was my home um, and was was finally taking control myself. And it's kind of crazy, but I at the time I had learned to value my appearance as the most important thing, not because I wanted to, but because early on, that's what I thought other people expected of me. Mm. So I developed really early. I was molested. People noticed me for my appearance. And so that became the most important thing to me because I thought that it's what people expected. And that's what I started to focus on. And I actually tested for Playboy magazine and was <laughs> accepted, believe it or not. And that same week that I was told that I was accepted, 
I was diagnosed with cancer. Wow. It was a crazy week because the thing that I had built my house on, that that sandy shoreline right. that I built my house on, I'd put all my value, I had put everything that I valued into this thing that couldn't be sustainable. Mm-hmm. And I was told that same week that I had cancer. And I, it was so surreal, I couldn't process it. And I ended up ultimately sinking into this wicked depression. I pulled myself out of it a little bit. You know, there was this parting of the clouds. Um, I ended up testing again and being told for the second time that I had cancer at the same time. And I thought, you know, God is trying to tell me something. I didn't really believe in God at the time. Mm -hmm. And so I wasn't sure about God. I'm like, if there's a God, he doesn't love me. And oh, by the way, at the same time, my mother had brain surgery. I had to file for bankruptcy. Um... I dropped out of, I had to drop out of school. Heck of because, a year. Holy Oh, yeah. Mold. I had to drop out of school, quit my job. And so then I went into this wicked depression, and I literally thought, if there's a God, he can't love me. And I kept praying that I would just die. I thought, this is not, life is too hard. There's no point anymore. And so that was my lowest point. And from that point is when, you know, things started to turn around and I wish I could just tell you that it just turned around. It didn't, it got worse before it got better. (laughs) It actually got worse before it got better because after that I went on, um, I was put on, um, a medication that made me much worse. I was put on Prozac and I went from being, you know, wickedly depressed to dangerously impulsive. And it was the wrong medication for me. It's not the wrong medication for everyone. I'm not Mm anti-medication. I'm against the indiscriminate use of it. If it's the wrong medication for you, Um, but it was the wrong medication for me. And I almost ruined my entire life Mm. in a matter of about eight months. So I went on to make very bad decisions for the next eight months. And that was worse for me because when you grow up in a traumatic environment, when you grow up in chaos, that happens to you. It's almost like it's easier to have someone else to blame, (laughs) but when it's you and you just, there's no one to blame, but yourself, Right, right. that's hard. Yeah. Because then you have to take responsibility. But don't you, does that actually, you know, I I understand that it's harder in the moment, right? To just to let that sink in that, okay, I've made mistakes that have put my life into this position. But it, for me anyway, I I hear that and I think, but at least you have agency over, over your problems. At least. Yes, but that's because you are a responsible person when you're in it. That's debatable. It's hard. (laughs) I understand that. Now I agree with you. Yeah. So I'm saying like from in terms of like the trajectory of beginning to build your life out of these low points and boy, oh boy, are you describing a, a low point? Um, mm-hmm. But but when you know, if you can and like I, I and again, I see that the the impact moment is a lot harder when you have to look in the mirror and you realize that you're the person that has put you in this position uh, versus, hey, I need to I need to extricate myself from a dangerous situation uh, that's, that somebody else has caused. Um but the path out of it just it, it seems like the power lies with you. It can be you, you can flip it and make it empowering. How did you begin to empower like you know, you get punched in the face by yourself. How do right. you how do you begin to how do you begin to heal? How do you begin to work your way out of that? Because I think there's a lot of people right now who are it's some I think everybody's in the spectrum, right? Between right. I've created the problem and yep. I've had extraordinary circumstances that nobody could survive. And I think we're all sort of halfway between those two points in some meaningful way when we hit a low point. So how do you begin to take the responsibility of the part? What's the serenity prayer? The uh, ex- uh the wisdom to accept uh, uh, no the, the things uh, I the sur- wisdom to 
or the, the, the serenity to accept the things I can, the wisdom. I forget that prayer. Yeah. My husband loves that prayer, though. Yeah. To know the difference. And the I wisdom to know the difference. But it's, it's the yeah. courage to change the things I can. The serenity. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, to accept the things I cannot change. The, the wisdom, the the courage wisdom to, to know the difference. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Perfect. We got it eventually. Yeah, yeah right. Um, so, you, yeah, there was a mouthful there because I, I want to unpack a little bit of what you said because I really like it. Um, first of all, there's resilience. But, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. I was yeah, at the I've heard that a lot lately. I've, yeah, you're not it's the first really person true. to say that. Yeah. So I wasn't, I don't think I was really ready before that. I think um, I went through a lot. There was a lot that I went through when I was young. And because of it, my survival, the way I survived it was, you know, just the strategies we learn to survive when we are four or when we're 14, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they help us survive, but they're not the strategies that work when we're 40. Right. And so I had learned these strategies to survive and yeah, I survived but I wasn't thriving and they certainly weren't helping me as an adult. But now that I had gone through all of these things, you know, all of a sudden I'm at rock bottom. I had made a mess of my life and two people appear. And one of them happened to be my uncle, the heroin addict. So my uncle who was murdered was murdered because of my other uncle, the heroin addict who lived with me when I was a child. Wow. Okay. And so, yeah, it was hard. That would talk about someone who had to really deal with a lot. Yeah. So I had this, this uncle who was a heroin addict who just created chaos in our house. And my other uncle was murdered because of him. And, um, now he's turned his life around and he goes on to teach me this amazing lesson about responsibility. Um, he's teaching these self-help seminars in Hawaii. And I thought that is just what the doctor ordered, not the self-help seminar, but the trip to Hawaii. I mean, obviously. So, <laughs> so I went to Hawaii and I learned more from him in that trip. It was so crazy. And I thought, and I used to be terrified of him. So it was crazy for me to learn so much from him. And it was such a full circle moment. He was talking to me and he said, so how much responsibility are you willing to take for your life? And I'm like, uh, I'm sorry, for which part? For being molested? For cancer? For what? What is it you want me to take responsibility for? I can't mm. take responsibility for cancer. And he said, I didn't ask you to take the blame. He said, I asked how much responsibility you are willing to take. How mm. much ability to respond do you want? And I literally almost hit the floor. Yeah. It was a light switch moment. And I went ability to respond. I had never thought about responsibility as the ability to respond. It's a, it's a great and way to break it down etymologically. Right. I just, I literally, I just stared at him and then he drew a circle on a piece of paper and he split it in half. And he said, if you take 50% responsibility, then you have 50% ability to change the outcome. Mm. But someone else still has the other 50%, someone or something. And I was like, oh, heck no, I want 100%. Right. Like from that moment on, it didn't matter what it was. COVID, like quarantine, I don't care. Like I'm not going to take the blame, but I want the ability to change the outcome for mm. how I think, how I respond. So from that moment on, it was like, what's the opportunity here? What can I do? What can I change? How can I respond as opposed to this isn't my fault? Yeah. And so it just changed how I think. And the second one, the second person that came into my life that made the biggest difference was she's the one that brought back my faith. So you have to understand, my faith was really damaged because my father, who had left me when I was a baby, was doing drugs with my uncle, showed up back in my life as a Baptist minister. Right. But didn't really show up back in my life. He yeah. was not really living the life of a minister. So it was very confusing for me. So there's this guy as I'm, when I was, I'm a child who's trying to teach me about this savior in white robes. But I'm like, yeah, I just want you to be here. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I just, why are you teaching me about some savior I'm supposed to believe in? And you can't even be here to like just when, when I need someone. 
like, so it was really complicated for me. My, my spiritual walk was damaged. But this woman shows up, and she's like my second mother, and she was so, rather than preaching about this hellfire and brimstone and how I was going to hell, she started preaching about this, this Jesus of love, this God of love. And, and I'm like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, she's, and I'm like, yeah, no, there's no God that's going to love me with the life I've lived. Like, you don't understand. And she's like, no, God doesn't care where you've been. He only cares where you're going. And mm. I'm like, what? No, that's not what I heard. You know, and she wasn't listening to me. And she's, I mean, she was listening to me. She wasn't ta- She wasn't buying it. Right. And then she tells me about King David. And, and she's like, you know, you should hear about King David. And to this day, he's my favorite Bible hero. Because I'm like, well, I haven't been as bad as King David. Yeah, so therefore, yeah. I can do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, so, it's a great point. I mean, like, you know, you, we've all done a lot of things. But have you... Uh, have right. you sentenced your best friend to death so that you can be with his wife? And God <laughs> loved him. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, well, then there's hope for me. And she said one thing that just made so much sense to me. She said, you don't get clean to get in the shower. Because I said to her, let me clean up my life, and then I'll go to church with you. And she's like, you don't get clean to go to get in the shower. She said, you're making excuses. Mm-hmm. And I just went, oh, there's that word responsibility again. Mm-hmm. And it just... it. it and that was really the beginning for me. Now, it wasn't the end. I still had those ups and downs. And a big, another big turning point was when I met my husband. But that was really the start of understanding, you know, um, this change in my life. That yeah. God was there for me. And yeah. that when I, when I did struggle, when I fell the next time, mm-hmm. what, it was me that walked away. It wasn't God that walked away from me. I love the, uh, I mean, I think, that, I think there's, there's a lot in there. I, I love the notion that, that, no matter what your circumstances, I mean, earlier I mentioned we're all kind of on a spectrum of uh, of when, when our life is not where we want it to be. There's a spectrum of outside causes and personal causes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but to your point, like, look, at a certain point, whether it's outside causes or personal causes, it's your it's your responsibility to manage the 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 response. Um, I mean, it's it's very stoic, right? The stoic philosophers would just sort of say, "You are where you are. How you how you deal with it is who you are. Right. Not, yep. you know, uh, there's nothing else to it." So, uh, you know, you and you talk about your faith being being instrumental in this, but you know, the title of your book is "Relentless Courage," and I think a lot of us can have those alcoholics call it a moment of clarity, um, but you have those those that moment where you realize, like, oh, my life is my responsibility, but. Uh, and, and, but but the grind of doing it, like if you want to make real life change, it's not about that just that moment of epiphany. Oh, it's no. about getting up every day and committing to it. So absolutely. So how do you begin to build that commitment, especially if your patterns and your system of life have put you into this position already, and you, you know your your behavioral mechanisms want to stay the same? So you know, it's just like any. It's, I always compare it to working out. So I've been working out since I was 16, 17 years old. If you do, if there's anything you do, any habit that you do, I don't care if it's brushing your teeth, you know how to do it. If you do, if there's any habit you do every day, then you know how to do habits. So you can take a habit that you do every day and you you apply that same philosophy. It's like you don't necessarily want to do it, but you do it because you know it's the right thing to do. It's just like when people, when I post anything about forgiveness, I, I don't get any more pushback on any other thing than I do on forgiveness. It's so interesting to me. And people are like, I just can't do it. You know, they think it's a one-time thing. It's not a one-time thing. Forgiveness is something I have to practice every single day. It's a practice. It's not a feeling, it's an action. 
it's something I get up and I work that muscle the same way I, I work out in the gym. Mm -hmm. You have to do it every single day. And I don't always feel like exercising in the gym. Okay, but Tana, we, but have, a, we, have, a, we have a national obesity crisis, right? People, right. I think people struggle with this. But you don't always feel like it. You do it because, but here's the thing. You got to find your why. Why are you doing it? Mm -hmm. So you got to know your mindset has to, you got to figure out the mindset first. So why? Why are you going to forgive? And people always have this idea, well, I'm not going to forgive because they don't deserve it. Right. Okay. Well, maybe they don't. Technically they do, but let's not even go there yet. But do you? Do you deserve the peace of letting go of it? Mm. So find that why. Is it for your kids? Is it for yourself? Find that why. And the, the same goes to resilience. The same goes to relentless courage. The same goes to why am I going to make these changes? I, I have family members who have not. They cannot. They don't have that resilience. They have chosen to stay stuck in a life of addiction. They have chosen. Now, I know it's complicated. Be, one of the lessons in my book is behavior is complicated. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the disease wins. But behavior is complicated, and it's easy to call people bad. It's harder to ask why. There's a lot that goes into it. There's your biology, your psychology, your social circle, your spiritual circle. We think your spiritual circle has a lot to do with it. But all of those things matter. But a big part of it is finding your why and making the decision every single day. Mm. Yeah. It's taking responsibility isn't a one-time thought. Like you said, it's not a light switch moment. It was a light switch moment. But from that day forward, I had to make the decision every day. Right. And there were days where I fell. I don't like the word fail. In martial arts, I, one thing I learned in martial arts, and I love this, I've been practicing martial arts for a long time. When I walked in, I wanted to learn how to hit really hard. I had been... I had been assaulted. I had been, you know, sexually abused. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I just want to learn how to hit someone really hard. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and mm -hmm. and my, my master was like, okay, but, you know, it's probably not a good idea for you to go blow for blow with a 250-pound guy. It's right. just not a good plan, right? right? Let's teach you how to stay out of a fight. And I'm like, nope, I want to learn how to hit hard. He's like, well, <laughs> let's teach you how to avoid a fight. And if you ha have no other choice, then we'll, we'll go that route. And he said, but first we're going to teach you how to pad up and fall. You need to learn how to fall safely. And I'm like, why would I want to learn how to fall? I want to learn how not to fall. Mm -hmm. And he's like, that's not possible. You're going to fall. You have to learn how to fall. You got to learn how to fall safely and get up quickly. There it he's is. like, there's no, he's like, there's no failing as long as you get up fast. And he's like, it doesn't matter how many times you fall as long as you get up and you learn how to do it quickly. And I thought to myself, why didn't someone teach me that when I was 10? Mm-hmm. Instead of living this life of perfection where nothing, I never make mistakes. I never, like, it's not okay to make a mistake. We all fall. Right. It's right. okay to fall. It's a normal part of the process. Right. Right. I mean, that, so that presents, like, you know, that, what we were talking about earlier, this, this idea of, of how you want to parent, where you want to give your kids the, the ability to, to fail. And, and to your point, the only guarantee is that you will fail. And, and the only guarantee of success is that you get up one more time than you fall down. Right. Um, and that's why in our house, we never, I never reward accomplishment or grades. Mm -hmm. I always reward work, right. work ethic. Right. And then that's, that's really the core of what, what, what people are calling now a growth mindset, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and versus a fixed mindset. So a fixed mindset would say, it's got to be, you, I, I won't fall down. I will not fail. A growth mindset is, uh, I will fail and I will learn from it so that I can get up again. 
Um, yep. and, and that, and that really is, that, that really is, I mean, I'm, I'm hearing you say that's the key to success. And also I want to unpack something else too, you know, martial arts, sports, you used a working out metaphor. And I think these are great sort of word pictures for the kind of resilience that you're talking about because, uh, you know, if you've ever been on a sports team, you don't win every game, you know, no. You, you learn how to deal with defeat and then show up the I mean, next week and play baseball. again. I think about baseball. If you hit 30% of the time, you're you, one of the best. Exactly. Exactly. I, it's, a, it's a metaphor I use all the time, and you're absolutely right. This idea that that you will always be successful is is misplaced. And unless you're failing, you're not really pushing yourself. Uh, and I think, you know, I think any kind of exercise routine uh, is sort of at its core. And it, martial arts, sports, weightlifting, all of it. Uh, at its core, it presents to you the opportunity to fail, learn, and then grow. Um, and I think that that you know, I, I would I would recommend, and I you know, this is your story, but I would recommend that anybody who is at that low point right now find a way to train their their mind and their body in into this into this by training physically. You know, I think mm -hmm. martial arts yep. that, that's the real value of martial arts uh, is is. Um, is that it allows you to continue to practice that that notion? It's the yes, value I learned of rec sports. so much. I've learned so much from martial arts, and you know, there's there's all these concepts of you know awareness, be aware, prepared, mm -hmm. you know, um, armed, aware, prepared, avoid the fight. Mm -hmm. There's just you know, warriors don't they don't show up on fight day and expect to win. They train every day. I just there are so many things I have learned, and for women especially, so many women that have gone through hard things, it's like, and, and even just women who are timid in general, it just, it brings out this empowerment, this feeling of empowerment and confidence. It's just amazing. If somebody is in this place right now, um, what would you say to them? What would you have wanted to hear? I mean, I, I know you had that woman who, who, who kind of talked you back into your faith. Um, you know, what, what, what do people need to hear right now if they are at that low point? People are isolated, people have lost jobs, uh, you know, what, what, what is the wake up moment that you think everybody needs to hear right now? So, I mean, they already heard the part about my faith because faith is such an important thing. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, faith is really critical. And, but in addition to that, what I would have wanted to hear that I didn't understand, there was a moment where I've often said this, people process things so differently. And certainly for, you know, my cancer wasn't the same as other people's cancer, mm -hmm. but the one thing that was worse for me than cancer was depression. Mm -hmm. I have never experienced anything like it. To this day, it motivates me. To this day, that fear of going back to that place motivates me to do the right things because I it was so awful. Right. Um, it's this overwhelming, just feeling like you can't, you want to rip your skin off and mm -hmm. you just can't get out of it. So that time when I wanted to die, if someone, if I could have possibly known that I would be where I am now, there's no way I would have believed it. That I'm where I am now. My life is the best it's ever been. I am purposeful. I'm living a life of purpose and faith. And I'm married to my best friend. And I'm, I'm doing something so incredible. And it's because of that time. I could not have known that, that God would allow me to use. I don't think he created it. But I do think he allowed me to use that darkness and that pain to be the thing that I use now mm. to reach people. And I'm just, what I would want people to know is you do not know what will come from today, from this darkness and pain you feel today. Your trauma can be someone else's 
triumph and transformation. That's beautiful. Pain to purpose. Pain to purpose. I love it. Tana Amen, the book, The Relentless Courage of a Sacred Child, How Persistence, Grit, and Faith Created a Reluctant Healer. Link to where to buy the book in the show notes. As we wrap this up, there's two things I want to ask you, Tana. First and foremost, uh, aside from buying the book, how can people follow up with you? So you can either go to TanaAmon.com or you can follow me. Um, probably best place is Instagram at Tana Amon. Link to her website and her Instagram profile will be in the show notes as well. One last thing, and I ask it to everybody. What is one thing we can all start doing today that will make our lives a whole lot better? Oh, geez. Turn the news off. <laughs> you know, prayer, meditation, and turn the news off. I have to give you three because it's, it's really about mindset, but the news yeah. is designed to keep you hooked yeah. um, on the negativity. There you go. I so. think that's great. I mean, look, the, the amount of people uh, from all these different uh, uh, expertise backgrounds that I've talked to have said the, idea, the, the notion of getting quiet, of disconnecting for a little bit, whether with yep. prayer, meditation, journaling, and not having input from outside sources just for a little bit every day, uh, it's, it's, pretty, um, it's pretty overwhelming how, how many people would, uh, would agree with you. I, and, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Five minutes of prayer and turn the news off and it'll change your day. Awesome. Tana Amon, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Oh, it's such a great pleasure. That's it for our show today. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you like the show, please rate, comment, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Please also check out Tana Amon's links in the show notes. Uh, follow up with her. Let her know what you thought. Uh, yeah, and also, uh, you know, again, rate, comment, subscribe makes a big difference for us. If you want to follow up with us, facebook.com slash John Tesh. We are live there all the time. Uh, uh, you can also follow John on Instagram at John Tesh underscore IFYL. I am Gib Gerard. You can find me at facebook.com slash Gib Gerard at Gib Gerard on Instagram and Twitter. I try to respond to every mention of the show, every DM, every suggestion you guys have for a guest because ultimately I do the show for you guys. So thank you so much for listening.